pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 304. Today I'm going to chat with Joe Rosalie, aka Latina Locked and Loaded, discuss details of the ruling on the frame receiver rule, highlight the reflux from FN, and talk about why you might want to be cautious of theme parks. I'm your host, Ava Flanell. Joe, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Of course. I don't know what state you're in right now, but I'm in Colorado and Colorado is experiencing some sort of crisis because it like, for example, okay, it's July 8th, which today happens to be my mom's birthday. I'm so happy birthday, mom. But anyways, I'm sitting here. I had to turn my heat up in my house because it's 60, I think it's like 57 or 60 degrees today. And we've had so much rain. And well, I am just over it. I'm super <laughs> freaking pale. I'm way like way too pale for it to be now July. And it's just been nonstop. Like I'm ready to just start planning on, you know, a move. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might want to consider Florida. We have uh we're although we do we're currently in our rain season, so it's been raining pretty much every day the last couple of weeks. But it, it you have some intermittent sun, so it's nice. I'm sure that when it rains, does it cool things down or is it just kind of like still that like oh, really no. hot? It just makes things probably even more humid and unbearable, right? Absolutely. It's just muggy. So it's hot and wet, which is kind of worse. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely don't miss that. There's a few things that I liked when I lived in New York about, you know, the humidity. Like for one, when you get out of the shower, you don't have to just like slather, you know, your body in lotion, which here I do. And anybody who comes to visit, they're like, my lips are so chapped. And I'm like, yeah, living here, you kind of apply like chapstick, like multiple times a day. (laughs) And, uh, I don't know. So pros and cons, but the humidity, uh, hates my hair. So, or I'm, I'm sorry, my hair hates the humidity. I'm sure the humidity loves my hair, but yeah. So I guess you're right. It's always green on the other side, but I'm still just, I don't know. I'm over it. (laughs) I am going to California next week, so I'm kind of excited for that. And it looks like there's no rain and it should be nothing but sun. Yeah. So hopefully I get my fill there. Yeah. Soak up those vitamin D. I know. Seriously, right? For sure. Either that or I'll just get one of those uh, those lamps that admit the vitamin D (laughs) like they do in Alaska. All right. So before I start, I want to talk about BSF barrels real quick. Their barrels are in the same weight class as low-profile barrels, but because of the carbon fiber sleeving, they're rigid like a bull barrel, so they're incredibly accurate as well. The barrels are tuned down to low profiles, but then the roll-wrapped carbon fiber sleeve loads it under tension to give you the heavy barrel rigidity without the weight. Also, 95% of the carbon fiber doesn't touch the barrel and has ventilation slots to cool the barrel faster. The result is it performs like a heavy barrel without the added weight. I'm actually getting ready to swap out my barrels. I know I've been saying this, but I've been so busy. But I did just do a testing on two 308 ARs that I have. And although obviously there's a lot of room for error, unless I were to put it in, let's say, like Caldwell's lead sled, which I wasn't able to get in time. 
so keep that in mind. There's going to be a little bit of room for error, but I kind of want to just see like the difference, you know, between changing out the barrels that it makes. And so I just got done testing out the 308s and which it was not fun. Like one of them is from Palmetto State Armory and uh, that gun wasn't really like, it wasn't the most enjoyable to shoot. It was a little, you know, it was a little rough around the edges, but yeah, so I'm really interested to see, you know, even just a B, you know, a PSA barrel compared to the BSF barrel, which you would think you would see quite a bit of difference, but who knows, I guess we'll see. Um, but I should be testing those in the next two weeks when I get back from California. In the meantime, if you guys want to get a BSF barrel or anything on their website, use the code elite 15, all one word, E L I T E one five, and you're going to get 15% off your entire order. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. All right. So, Joe, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I've wanted to have you on the show now for a little while. I was looking back to see like when I initially asked you and it's been a while, but we just, you know, our schedules were just continuously conflicting. So I'm really happy to have you on finally. I follow you on Instagram and you're always posting some really interesting stuff and I love what you do, but I'll admit, I actually don't know a whole lot about you, which is great. So I'll learn along with the listeners, but for people who aren't familiar with the work that you do, can you just kind of give us a rundown of what it is that you do in the gun industry? Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, my husband and I have a joint podcast or the locked and loaded Latinos. We like alliteration. I love English. So it was like, Ooh, alliteration's fun. Um, <laughs> and, uh, we just basically do a weekly podcast, um, trying to educate and bring up topics of gun control amongst other things. Um, so we originally started out, I think in 2018 or 2019, um, back in Florida, as I mentioned, we had a um, situation with the Parkland shooting. It was very near and dear to our hearts because I was actually in Parkland with my two-year-old niece when it happened. Uh, we were totally fine. We were just in a playground, but it just puts your mind in a weird place. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a very casual gun owner. I was a concealed carry license holder, but I just never really took it too seriously. And then that's kind of what pushed me over the edge to being like, this needs to be taken very seriously, you know, because your mind just starts going to, you know, like I would be the one defending my niece. If I, you know, if something happened, you know, am I ready for that? I'm not a mom. So it really just took that to make me think that protectively of others. Um, and then my husband got into it because the subsequent red flag laws that happened with Marco Rubio, uh, really, really bothered him. And, you know, that's what it took to, I took the emotional route. He took the illegal route and, you know, we kind of just used social media to, um, start following other people. We'd been off social media for years and, you know, started following Maj Ture and other advocates and getting inspired. We went to the, uh, 2019 DC rally that was held. And that was just, you know, super inspirational. We walked out of that. And by Sunday, I think after we'd smoked cigars and had a few drinks with, you know, uh, Kate, Kevin Dixie and Argo J and so many different advocates, Jarrah Hutchins, you know, we left that saying, you know, we need to do something. We need to step up. And we had no real crystallized plan. We just do, we ought to do something and start out doing uh, public speaking, 
uh, we were asked to do speak at certain events and then COVID hit. So podcasting became the backup plan and that ended up being what we do. So we started a podcast and focused on, I think because, you know, we had that fun name, the Locked and Low Latinos, we tried to incorporate some Spanish into it, read the Bill of Rights in both languages. Eventually we realized, you know, there's an element of, you know, an echo chamber that we're all stuck in. So it's like, we'd see the same people showing up. It's the same people we know. It's the same people who are watching other podcasts. It's the same people who are subscribed to Amaland. And we started thinking, what can we do to spread the message outside the echo chamber? Mm -hmm. And as much as education is important, just because you like guns doesn't mean, you know, you know what's going on. But I think the, the point was also just to make sure that people knew what was going on because a lot of people are very uneducated and also just present a, you know, break those misconceptions. You know, a lot of people have ideas of who the gun owner is and there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of like, Ooh, scary. So, you know, I started living that I'd be on the line at the store, at the pub, at the grocery store and start talking to someone about guns or, you know, like safety, especially women. And, you know, like you'd see them agreeing and they'd, you just take them by surprise because they're not expecting you to be that common gun owner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk more about your podcast, but going back a little bit, what got you started just, you know, into guns and deciding to get your concealed carry permit? It's actually my husband. So we met, uh, I think I was 27 when we met and it was like our third date, you know, his family was in the military. He, you know, always wanted to be in the military for health reasons. He couldn't. And his buddies all went, uh, you know, to the war on terror and came back and took him to the range and he loved guns. So it was important to him. And you know, we had just started dating. So he wanted to make sure I was cool with it because that's kind of a deal breaker for him. Yeah. So it was a third date. And I think at the time he only owned like a Springfield XD 45. And that's what I shot. <laughs> and pr probably not the smartest thing to start. You yeah. know, a new girl on yeah. and you're taking her to the first time. She's never shot a gun. But I came out of that, you know, out of the uh, the range, went straight to the counter, the gun counter. I said, can I buy one of these things, but in a smaller size? <laughs> so uh -huh. That was actually my first gun. I got a, a Springfield XD nine millimeter. And obviously I don't have that anymore. I moved on and became a little bit of a gun snob and you know, as you do with experience and start caring about triggers and start caring about different things. And it's just become, you know, something I never knew I, I wanted to do or a hobby that I wanted to try. And it just became, it was fun. It was just casual. You know, I saw it as a sport. I saw it as an, a hobby mm -hmm. at the time. Nice. Yeah. My, I think my third or fourth gun was a Springfield XDM nine millimeter. And now I do use it in classes just to teach people like, you know, about passive safeties because it has that grip safety and trigger safety, but mm -hmm. it hasn't seen the range in forever. Cause like you said, like, as you get more experience, you become more of, you know, sort of like a, a gun snob, but you also, you know, as you try out different guns, you're just like, actually, you know what? I, I like this gun better, but actually the actual XDM model, the XD, I didn't really care for, but the XDM I thought actually shot pretty well. And it is kind of nice to like try, you know, to start off with like guns that are kind of atrocious. And then because mm -hmm. I think that, you know, you you get accurate on that and better. And then when you do step into something that's so much more refined, you're like, oh, wow, this is like a walk in the park. And, you know, 
So <laughs> yeah. I totally get it. I think it, I just think it's funny how all of us kind of fall victim into buying sort of something similar, like for mm-hmm. our first gun. But do you, this is kind of off topic, but are you, I know you're obviously in the East Coast, Florida, but are you from New Yorkish more? I am. Do I still have I can, an accent? <laughs> so I, okay, because my parents are from New York and then I spent eight years in New York. I have such an ear for people that are in New York. Like, and I could tell the difference if it's New York or if they're in Boston or Connecticut, like, you know, just like different little areas surrounding it, sort of like, but it's like, I just have this ear for New York. What part of New York? I'm from Long Island. <laughs> what part? <laughs> the Suffolk County on the Great South Bay area. Okay, nice. So I, um, well, my parents are from, uh, they lived on the the South side and mm-hmm. my mom was from Wantua, which I don't know how oh to even God. say Wantua without the accent, like Wanta. I don't know. Uh, yeah, then, it's definitely not Wanta. It's definitely- yeah. And then my <laughs> boyfriend at the time in New York, he had a house in Dix Hills. So Nassau and um, we used to go out there all like on the weekends and stuff like that. But I liked Long Island. I haven't been back and oh gosh. Well, I mean, I did go back last year for work and it was like, I felt like it was just like, wow, blast from the past. It took like a time machine back in time, you know, went to my old stomping grounds, like drove by my old high school, went to the beach. I'm like, why do we think these beaches were actually nice? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I know. No kidding. I know. Yeah. I haven't been back to New York for 10 years now and I don't know how like, I miss it, but, and sometimes I have dreams about it that I move back and stuff, but I don't know. I think it's one of those things where, and I think anybody who's lost somebody might agree, but I lost my mom now. It's been 11 years and I think it's, it would just be hard for me to go back because then it was like a different chapter in my life. I still had my mom. I don't know. So it's like something that I've just been avoiding, even though it would be kind of nice to visit. I miss the food more than anything, but yes, yeah. So it's just something that it has a special place in my heart, but I think I'll just leave it where it is right now. Okay. So that's awesome though. It's always nice to talk to like a fellow New Yorker. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you know what? On that note, I'm going to take a quick break. Talk about gators. Gators just announced a new limited edition of their Delta glasses. Jack Carr, author of The Terminal List, a former SEAL, has been wearing gators since the late 90s. And characters in the show wear them as well for authenticity. And you'll notice like a lot of a lot of SEALs actually really prefer gators. I've noticed that trend kind of. But anyways, the Jack Carr edition is the Rugged Delta series in all black with Jack's signature crossed tomahawk logo and polarized smoke lens. Looks really awesome. They just announced them, so definitely keep an eye out. They might be available on the website by the time the show comes out. If not, and you want them, you know, like I said, it's just a matter of any day before they drop them. In the meantime, check out the other styles as well. And if you use the link Gators, that's G-A-T-O-R-Z dot com forward slash Ava, you're going to get 15% off your entire order. Let's go back to your podcast for a second. So Latina Locked and Loaded. So do you think that by the name, and and do you mind if if I ask, is your husband also, is he Latino? Yes, he's Puerto Rican. So So he's he's actually the one who inspired me because he was the Puerto Rican Pistolero. And I think it was on a 
one of the train rides, um, we were doing a little sightseeing in that 2019, uh, DC rally. Uh-huh. I was like, well, you got to come up with something cool for me too. Yeah. Cause I'm not, you know, I can't compete with the Puerto Rican pistol arrow. And then he was the mastermind who came up with Latina locked and loaded. And then when we decided to come together and do a podcast together, it was like, well, we're going to just rip off yours and do locked and loaded Latinos, which actually annoys me because it's backwards. So everybody yeah. gets it wrong all the time. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So do you think that it does encourage a lot of Latinos to listen? Because I will say like, that is definitely a demographic that I don't think that the firearms industry is really touching upon or, you know, highlighting. And it's, you know, there's a huge Latino community that we haven't even tapped into. Absolutely. So there's like a reason why we went that route. I really hate identity politics. I've hated that since I was a a child. I remember like sitting for a state test. I took AP testing, I think it was. And, you know, it asked you for your race. And I'm, I remember sitting at the desk during my AP test and being like, I was like 16 and thinking, why do you need to know my race? This is so silly. This is dumb. Mm-hmm. And I wrote other. So it was, it's ironic for me to utilize my my background as my identity, because that's just not us at all. However, at the same time, it was inspirational when we first got into advocacy. We really just bonded with people who were working with their culture. So the Black uh, advocacy groups, uh, you know, we went to local events for them. We did a national range day with them. Uh, in South Florida. And then, um, you know, nationally, we have Kevin Dixie is one of our greatest friends, Argo J, Maj Ture. So we kind of felt, you know, we saw this renaissance in the Black community and the education they were doing and and the the strides they were making and correcting those misconceptions. And we thought, hey, can we do this in the Latin community? And something I discussed with um, Edgar Antillon, he's out of Colorado as well, is it's very hard with the Latin community because we are not one people, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we have yeah. uh, different cultures and we're all very different. However, with that said, I've noticed that we do have a large population of, of Hispanics that watch our show. And, you know, we have a lot of pride behind our individual backgrounds. And I think Rolando has been a, you know, there's a joke, uh, <laughs> it comes from a soundbite from Donald Trump where he mispronounces Puerto Rico and we use it on the show and it became popular because um, we're also part of a YouTube channel called Geeks and Gamers. And that's where it really took off. So, you know, people throw the Puerto Rican flag as, you know, one of our emoticons on on our chat and just they spam the Puerto Rican flag. So it definitely, you know, for Boricua culture, for Puerto Rican culture, it became, you know, a thing, you know, that a rally around Rolo. I don't know if, you know, we don't definitely we don't focus on just Latin, you know, topics or anything like that. We used to do things bilingual, but, you know, it's, it's hard for others to follow along when they're not, you know, Spanish speakers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you bring up a really good point that made me, you know, have a flashback to when I went to college my freshman year and I went to an all women's college in New York and there, there was like so much diversity and a lot of Latinas and, I remember being in like one of the women's study classes and we were all having like a group discussion and a lot of the Spanish women in there, they were just like, yeah, like, do not refer to me as Mexican. I am Latina or somebody's like, I'm Dominican. But it's like interesting that you bring that up because really, you know, Spanish culture is so many different places and you can't just group them together. I'm sure even by referring to, you know, I guess 
people who come from Spanish speaking countries, even saying Latino or Latinos is probably not even the right way to say it. Am I wrong or? I feel like that's not offensive to anyone. And as time goes on, we tend to be multicultural. Like myself, Rolo is 100% Puerto Rican from Puerto Rico. Um, I'm first gen. So my dad's Dominican and my mom's Colombian. So I think as time goes on, you know, we are, you know, multicultural, multi background Latinos. So I think it's becoming, you know, less of a thing mm-hmm. um, because you get to hear those people who are like, I'm from Ecuador and from Honduras, you know. So, yeah. You know, it's we become the melting pot that we were meant to be in America. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about geeks and gamers. You were kind of explaining it to me off air and it actually sounds really cool. Oh, it's amazing. Um, (laughs) So it it all comes back to, you know, I think we've just been really lucky when it comes to who we meet and hitting it off with people. But we actually have to attribute our joining geeks and gamers to uh Eric July or Young Rippa, as he's known on YouTube, he's a pretty large libertarian podcaster who somehow we got on their radar and he asked us on the show. And of course, we we were huge fans. So we graciously said yes. And we had a great interview with him. It was recorded. And then it was, I think, recorded January 3rd or 4th. And then a couple of days later, it was January 6th. And then a lot of the things that we talked about were not really relevant or appropriate. And he never aired the show, but then we got to run into him again uh, a few months later. I think it was September. We were uh, media for Tray Solutionary Summit, and we had a table and we brought our podcast live and we asked him to sit down and reverse the role. And he did our show and we just uh, hit it off. And because we were fans of geeks and gamers, like we watched the show, we were in the chat, you know, we saw he, he was on, he was on panelists on their shows. He's good friends with the, um, the boss on the CEO of geeks and gamers, Jeremy. And when Jeremy was looking for additional cast members, uh, young Ripa, Eric said, Hey, you know, I've got a couple of people that I think would be a good fit. So he recommended us and we went to a, what's called Megacon here. Like, uh, we're, we're geeks. So <laughs> we went to a convention and uh, geeks and gamers were there. They did a mini uh, panel and Jeremy came over to us and said, Hey, you guys are the little Latinos. I've heard about you. Uh, you know, are you interested in being part of geeks and gamers? Which was, I think, mind blowing to us because it's, you know, geeks and gamers is at like 370,000 subscribers on its main channel. It's got a bunch of offshoot channels and, you know, it's, it's really cool to do something like this because you're going from Hey, I watch your stuff. I'm a fan to now I get to work with you and bring the elements that you are missing, you know, politically or culturally to, to the table. So while we are sticking to what they do, uh, which is pop culture gaming, uh, I even play tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons for them. Hmm. And it still allows you to bring part of yourself to it. So we've noticed the conversations about guns coming into that space and then people from their channel start coming over to our channel and kind of breaking out of that echo chamber. Mm-hmm. We have people who've never really had conversations about guns who are not subscribed to ammo and come to us and be like, yeah, this is so cool. I've never heard about this. This is awful. I want to, I want to get more involved. So it's definitely expanding the the conversation outside, which is to me, one of the biggest things that you can do as an advocate. And also it's, it taps into one of the things that we find really important as a form of spreading the message is 
it's a culture war. So a lot of negativity is going around. And it also bleeds into video gaming. I've, I've actually heard politicians in the last year blame, I think someone in Texas, one of the, the senators or representatives blamed video games for one of the shootings. And it's just so antiquated. There's scientific studies that prove that there's no association. And, you know, it's a huge part of our culture of teenagers and 20 year olds and Gen Z. And, you know, if you, they've never shot a gun, but they could tell you scopes and and all the, uh, you know, parameters of different guns because they play Call of Duty, they play Fortnite, they play all these games that have guns. So what better way to be like, hey, you already know about guns. Let me teach you the educate you on the appropriate things that you should know about them, the legalities, the, you know, safe safety, all that. Mm-hmm. So it just, in so many different ways just came together and, you know, really just, it was a perfect marriage. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to take another quick break and talk about Mantis. Do you have any experience with Mantis by chance? I do. I have one. Do you? Which one do you have? I have one for my uh, for my handgun. Forgot so what model it is. <laughs> it could be like the X2, which would be the Pretty earliest. Sure it's the, yeah, I think it's the, the X2 or the X10. Which really the biggest difference is you can shoot live rounds with the X10, the X2. You can't, but. I actually really like the X2, mostly because it's just $99. So if you think about it, for just $100, you can greatly improve your accuracy. And basically, I mean, it is it is their base model, but it still traces your muzzle movement, trigger squeeze, and other movements to analyze how you shoot so that you can make corrections according to the recommendations. And then additionally, it keeps like track of your history so that you can see how things improve over time. And it also still works in tandem with the Laser Academy and the Blackbeard. So if you guys are like, yeah, I really like the idea of the Mantis, but, you know, I don't want to spend like $200 on the newest system. They do have one for $99. And then it's also available on Amazon, too. So you can really get them anywhere. But if you want to check out more about the different models that they have, head on over to MantisX.com. And then last topic, uh, you did, you know, you, you've been pretty active with DC Project. Tell me what you've been doing with them. Um, DC Project is amazing. I'm not a state representative, but I've just had a good friendship with um, a lot of people in the in the DC Project. Diana Muller is amazing. So I was actually supposed to be going last year to DC um, to represent instead of a state, I was going to represent Hispanic women, mm-hmm. um, just because there, it is something, you know, to, to show a little bit like, Hey, you know, like, uh, something that's very close to my heart is the fact that people just assume and make assumptions about me and what I believe based off my culture, or what I am. So that's actually another reason why I like kind of stick it to the man and be like, yeah, I'm Latina. And that's what I'm going to talk about. That's unexpected. So to me, that's a great thing. I don't like to see it as I'm a, you know, Oh, I'm just another diversity hire. That's a joke that we do on Geeks and Gabers. Like, here are two diversity hires, Rolo and Joe. They're <laughs> Hispanics. But to me, it's it's like I grew up basically hearing, and I still see it. I still hear it. It's like, oh, you're Hispanic. You must believe in this. And people just throw assumptions at you. So to me, it is important to be like, just because I am a certain culture doesn't mean I have a certain belief system. You know, you know, I'm getting a little into politics here, but pretty, pretty much people, I, I notice this all the time. If you don't, I don't ever bring things up you know, you don't talk about religion and politics with strangers. So, you know, we're no 
I won't bring it up, but people are very comfortable just making assumptions. So I like to make sure that, you know, they're not just saying, oh, you're Latin. Do I have your vote? It's like, no, you don't. And let me tell you why, because I'm coming at you as a woman. And just because I have a background doesn't mean you can make, you know, assumptions about that and take me for granted. Mm -hmm. So, and to show other Hispanics, like you don't have to go along with, you know, people just taking you for granted in their party. Yeah. It's actually a really interesting thing that you brought up because it does happen, you know, like, I mean, you see people, let's say on the street that are trying to collect signatures and they would easily say like, hey, you know, you're Latin. Can we, you know, count on your vote? Just assuming your political, you know, affiliation and and it is so interesting. I mean, you know, especially now today where they're like, you know, you know, don't stereotype, don't stereotype. And yet we still are constantly stereotyping and yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it just, it's not to use their, their terminology because I think it's, you know, but it is these little microaggressions like that. That's like, but to me, it doesn't bother me in terms like you're, you're being racist, but in a way it's like the people who are most, you know, worried about being racist are being racist because mm-hmm. they're just, they have bring up the conversations. They're like, well, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, well, do I really, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I grew up very Hispanic. I, you know, Spanish is my primary language. It's spilled what I call my mom every day. And I speak to her in Spanish. We grew up with Univision and Telemundo. And, you know, the news up until I left my house was was that. And when I go back to visit and I sit down, I go, wow, it's so biased. I can't. Was it always this way? Mm-hmm. And it was, hmm. you know. Interesting. Have you done anything Oh, like with DC project, like, have you gone to, you know, let's say the state Capitol and, you know, testified against some anti-gun bills or anything like that? Not yet. You know, Diana knows I'm open to it. We are actually, they were invited uh, to DeSantis signing our permitless carry law a few months ago that just went into effect July 1st. Um, Unfortunately, because I'm constantly traveling, I'm never in town for any of the events that I get yeah. <laughs> uh, invited to, but I am uh, would love to. It's actually one of my my dreams to be able to participate in that and testify. You know, it's just it just hasn't worked out for me yet. But, you know, she's definitely knows that I have the interest and when I can, I would love to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The only thing is, is like a lot of the like the court systems even that is kind of corrupt. Like when they decide like, okay, we're going to do, you know, the hearing it, like it's very changes dates right away or something or times. Exactly. They're just like, okay, we're going to do it in two days. And at this time. And I mean, this happened in Colorado with a a few bills, it kept changing, changing, changing. And they were hoping that like, eventually people would get frustrated and they weren't going to show up. And I'm just like, how unorganized, especially when, how do they not know? Like, how could I feel like how could they not be organized when, you know, it's taking place at the Capitol and they have to rearrange everything so that it works with everyone else's schedule? And it's it's kind of just a mess. And you I, I have feel to... like it's definitely like a, a tactic for exactly. sure. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I know it's incredibly frustrating. And then with Florida being the shape that it is, we used to live in South Florida. We actually just recently moved to Orlando um, to Geeks and Gamers headquarters. But yeah, it was like, it's a 10 hour drive to the capital. So mm. it was, I forgot what it was, but uh, Rolando and I, at one point, there was some, some bill that was, um, you know, they were, they were going to have 
a hearing and we were like, well, let's go. And then it's like, we plan the day, we take the day off and then it got like moved. And we're like, well, we can't keep doing this. Like, yeah. we, this is just frustrating. So it's extremely frustrating, especially in a state like ours where it's, you know, very taxing for someone all the way down in Miami to get all the way up there or, you know, has a nine to five job. And it's like, I definitely think it's on purpose for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. 10 hours of the long drive, not to mention the amount of hours that you'll spend at the Capitol waiting to testify because it's not just like, okay, cool. You get there and you do it right away. Sometimes it's like you're waiting 10 plus hours just to go up in front of the committee and speak. Yeah. So, all right. Awesome. Well, for those who want to follow your podcast and follow you guys on social media and all that good stuff, what are your handles for that? Sure. On YouTube, we are the Locked and Loaded Latinos. On Instagram, we are the Locked and Loaded Latinos. I'm Latina Locked and Loaded if you want to follow me personally. And then uh, I believe Rolando has a Twitter, Lock, Lock Load Latinos on Twitter. All right. Perfect. All right. Moving on with the rest of the show. So IWI. You guys have heard me talk about the Uzi before. The other models have been discontinued, uh, like the one with the brace. I think obviously right now they're not selling it because of everything going on, but they still have the Uzi Pro pistol, which it's kind of like a modernized micro Uzi semi-auto pistol based on like the world famous Uzi submachine guns. This one's a little different from the old design. The charging handles on the left side of the receiver so that a Picatinny rail could be added to the top. There's also an additional Picatinny rail on the bottom so that lights or you know lasers can be added directly under the barrel. Each Uzi Pro pistol is supplied with two magazines, 120 round and 125 round. And then they also have a 32 round magazine that is also available And then obviously, if you live in restricted states, I think they do have 10-round magazines for you. Don't quote me on that. But it's one of my favorite guns. It's just one of those things where, again, it's just so iconic that I feel like everyone should have it, you know, in their collection. If you want to check it out, head on over to IWI.us. Don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY15, all one word, and you're going to get 15% off any of the accessories in their web store. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. Today in politics, Joe, I don't know if you followed this. Basically, you know, like I kind of touched upon this last week, uh, right after the ruling came out, but with the receiver thing, how it was vacated by the U.S. District Judge. I wanted to go more into detail about this, but basically, like I said, the frames and receiver rule was vacated by the U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor last Friday. Two other lawsuits were unsuccessful in getting injunctions against the rule, but the Firearms Policy Coalition and Gun Owners of America backed case Vanderstock versus Garland was successful. The rule, as written, treated unfinished frames and receivers as firearms requiring serial numbers and the required FFL transfers on, quote, a part that has yet to be completed or converted to function as a frame or a receiver. One of their key goals with this rule was to eliminate so-called ghost guns, which, again, we know that they really haven't been used in many crimes. 
The rule was very gray and broadly written. So basically, it would allow the ATF to require a serial number on anything that they wanted. The ATF and DOJ argued that they were within their authority making sweeping rule changes since they had done so before and that they were just, quote, clarifying what a receiver was. The arbitrary language was anything but clear. Judge O'Connor saw through all of this. One of the key questions of the case that he outlined was, quote, this case presents the question of whether the federal judge may lawfully regulate partially manufactured firearm components, related firearm products, and other tools and materials in keeping with the Gun Control Act of 1968. He went on to conclude that because the court concludes that the government cannot regulate those items without violating federal law, the court holds that the government's recently enacted final rule is unlawful agency action taken in excess of the ATF statutory jurisdiction. On this basis, the court vacates the final rule. If anybody is wondering, well, what does vacate mean? It basically means that the rules are erased in its entirety. It's done. It's finished as if it never existed. There are related issues Palmer 80 has in litigation that the decision doesn't cover, but notes that Palmer 80 is free to pursue those where vacating the rule doesn't make the case mute. The shared motions for Palmer 80 and JSD supply were both granted in the ruling. FPC, Fire and Policy Coalition's counsel in the case said, with this decision, the court has properly struck down ATF's rules and ensured that I cannot enforce that which it never had the authority to publish in the first place. From here, I'm sure you guys are wondering, all right, what's next? I expect ATF and DOJ to appeal the decision. Second Amendment Foundation Executive Director Adam Kraut said, this case is one more example of the Biden administration's ongoing effort to exceed its authority in an effort to place as many restrictions as possible on the rights of law-abiding gun owners. We are pleased the court took the decisive action, and we will litigate this issue to finality if and when the government appeals. That said, at this point, the rule is void, but we'll probably need to go to SCOTUS before the attack of the Second Amendment from this avenue is done. Based on SCOTUS' recent rulings, it's likely that they will deny an appeal because Judge O'Connor has correctly followed the historical precepts of Bruin, the EPA case, and others. But new legislation was just filed by Democrats to pack SCOTUS with liberal justices. Basically, this means that, like, the fight for our rights is literally never going to end, which is frustrating. That's something that we talk about on our show a lot. It's just basically cyclical. And, you know, some people get frustrated. It's like, we're losing. It's like, no, I think that they're going harder because it's, you know, we're actually gaining ground. Yeah. And I feel like this, the ATF should just be eradicated because any, you know, if you look at, you know, we just had our Independence Day and, we were talking about our founding fathers and the founding papers. And it's like, we have this system of checks and balances that is just being completely abused because the legislative branch is, is not being utilized properly to create rules and laws. The executive branch just does whatever it wants with its ATF. Mm-hmm. I know. I couldn't agree more. It's just, it's incredibly frustrating to even see that this is happening, that it's just, you know, just like with so many other things in politics, it's so clear cut that this is overreach, that it's like, how is this even happening? Like, how is it legally happening? I mean, obviously, you know, this is a great example that, you know, it was struck down, but, you know, I mean, it is, it's one of those things where it's going to be constantly ongoing. 
And I know that it does seem like a never-ending fight, and it probably will be, but it's really important that we never give up and that we still continue to have that voice and, you know, contact our representatives, tell them, you know, that you disagree with this and and really get active about it. Because if you stay complacent, then it really is just a matter of time before we lose ground. Absolutely. Caldwell. Definitely time to add some Caldwell steel to your range, especially because, you know, it's warm in most places unless you're in Colorado. But now's the perfect time to obviously shoot outdoors. Caldwell offers a bunch of AR-500 targets in lots of shapes and sizes. Like, for example, they have their 5-inch plates as low as $19.99, 8-inch ones for $37.99, and then they even have a full IPSC target for $209.99. They also have T-post stands to hang them on that are only $21.99. And they're all rated for 3,000 feet per second impact velocity with 3,500 foot-pounds of energy. So they could definitely take a punishment. Just because they're inexpensive doesn't mean that the quality, you know, isn't great. It is. I have them on my range, and they've definitely taken a beating. So if you want to get yourself some steel or anything else that Caldwell Shooting offers, head on over to caldwellshooting.com. Remember to use the code GUNFUNNY10, all one word. You're going to get 10% off your entire order. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's Q&A is how is the new podcast going? So if you guys weren't aware, I just launched a second podcast with Dalen Schaefer from Civilian Tactical on YouTube, and it is called Pew Pew Panel. And we talked about it last episode. It did just launch, and tomorrow our second episode comes out. But I think you guys will really like it. It really encourages listeners to get involved, to ask us questions. You know, would we rather do A or B? Uh, You could ask us, you know, questions like, I don't know, something that you're like, hey, thinking about buying a new rifle, I'm doing X with it. What would you recommend? Just anything like that. But I think it's a lot of fun. We've definitely had fun with it, you know, with recording it. And even for our first podcast, which you would think would be like super awkward because we're still getting our feet wet. I think we actually did a pretty good job with it. And so far, it's gotten a lot of traction. You can see the video. So unlike, you know, Gun Funny where it's just audio, we do video and you can see the video on YouTube. Just search for Pew Pew Panel. Or we also have a website now, which is pewpewpanel.com. So if you're having trouble locating any links, you know, to social media, YouTube, all that good stuff, head on over to pewpewpanel.com and check it out. But again, I think that you guys will really enjoy it. And especially because, you know, I'm sure people are thinking like, well, are people going to be able to consume all the content that you're putting out? But what I've noticed is there's so many people that listen to the show right when it drops that I will wake up Monday morning with a bunch of emails from people talking about what I just talked about, you know, that just came out. And then they have to wait all, you know, for an entire week before the next episode launches. So I don't know if Joe, is that kind of like it, you know, is that similar to how it is with you where it's like people are just consuming it so fast that you're like, I can't even keep up with, you know, creating more content. Um, 
Well, it's ours is live with the chat, so we get that feedback right away. Oh, and it's fun sense. because you get to interact and have the questions and they totally derail us all the time. So it's yes. it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a different element for sure. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it drops every Tuesday and Friday. So like I said, check it out. And really happy to see, you know, some of my listeners from Gun Funny cross over to Pew Pew panel. Smith & Wesson. So if you're in the market for a new EDC, definitely check out the Shield Plus and 30 Super Carry. Joe, do you have any experience with 30 Super Carry? Have you tried it out yet? I have not. It's actually a really interesting round that I'm a pretty big fan of. I think it is going to gain a lot more traction in the next couple of years as more manufacturers start developing guns that are chambered in it. But for right now, the Shield Plus is available in 30 Super Carry. And what makes it so great is... The Shield Plus, so it has the same footprint as the 9mm version. You can't really just tell by looking at it. But with the 30 Super Carry, it fits more rounds, which is typically about 20% more rounds in the magazine. So this means that it now, in the 30 Super Carry version, holds 13 rounds in the flush mag and 16 rounds in the slightly extended mag, which is pretty good for the Shield Plus size. It's available optic-ready with night sights and has the new flat face trigger, which I'm a big fan of. You could also get it with or without the thumb safety. And then also for anybody who's worried like, well, what if I can't find ammo for my 30 super carry? I've definitely been seeing it a lot more available on shelves. So, you know, that's always a plus. If you want to check out more about this gun, head on over to smith-wesson.com. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. The FN Reflex, which FN stands for Fabrique Nationale Herzl. I believe I say that right. Or if you just want to, you know, make it easy, FN or FNH. But they just recently joined the Capacity Micro 9 market back in April with the Reflex firearm. Joe, did you have a chance to go to NRAM? I did not this year, no. So I went and I made it a point to check out this new reflex gun because I had heard that they came out with a micro nine and I was able to get, you know, my hands on it. It's hard to tell just by holding it sometimes, you know, to see like how it really is. But I'm sure initially when it first came out, people were like, okay, cool. Another micro nine, like you're kind of late to the game because figure the SIG P365 has been out for quite a few years now. And then they also have like the Hellcat, the Shield Plus, Masada Slim, Ruger Max 9, and a bunch of others. So, you know, you're kind of like, all right, we have enough to choose from. But the firearm's a little bit different as far as its competition goes. So it has a flush fit 11 round mag with a pinky extension and includes an extended 15 round mag as well. It's also available in 10 round mags if you live in restricted states. They've wisely made it object ready on the RMD model to fit the Shield RMS-C or the Holosyn 507K footprint, which is, I'd say it probably dominates the micro dot uh, market right now. The included irons are metal, not plastic, with trinium front sights, and they are tall enough to co-witness with the MRD version. Grip texturing is the same as like the popular 503 series, and 
They also included a Picatinny rail, which a lot of other micro compact nines did not. So this is kind of nice, especially if you want to put a flashlight at the end of your gun. You don't have to buy like one of those all ball lights to fit. One thing that sets the reflex apart from most other micro nines is it's hammer fired. By having a hammer, it's single action only, allowing for a lighter trigger. Reviews show that it averages about 4.7 pounds and breaks in at 4.3 pounds compared to your typical five pound mark, which is pretty good, especially because, I mean, Joe, you probably, you know, you're like me. The more you shoot, the more of a trigger snob you become. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, like you ever hear your shot like guns where it's just like that really heavy trigger pull and it's super long and you're just like, wow, this sucks to shoot. So I'd imagine this probably shoots pretty well with you know, a trigger that, you know, that is under five pounds. Reports show that, you know, it's been pretty reliable and handles a variety of different ammo, which is good. Accuracy also has been quite good. The one drawback at the moment seems to be that there aren't many companies making holsters yet, but obviously I'm sure that'll eventually catch up. And then also the controls aren't ambidextrous, but the mag release can be swapped out if you are left-handed. Yeah, but I would be interested to get my hands on one and test it out and see how it shoots. I mean, it felt pretty good in my hand. And yeah, I mean, I always think like the more guns on the market, the better, even if it is kind of similar, because even with the micro compact nines that we have on the market now, it's been such a difference like shooting them that, you know, some definitely shoot better than others, which is weird because you would think like, well, you know, it's very similar in size, but there is quite a difference, which Joe, I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, when the Hellcat first came out, everybody was so excited about it, but then I got to shoot it. I forgot what range day I was at and I was very excited to go up and try it out and I hated it, but I love my P365 and I feel like it's, it's so weird. They're very similar in size and all that. I'm like, I just don't like that gun. <laughs> so yeah. I agree with you. No, I actually, I agree with that exact same statement. I was really excited when it came out. Uh, Springfield sent me all three models or maybe they have four now, but I have three of their models and even the one with like the compensator that's supposed to help absorb some of that recoil, it definitely doesn't shoot as well as the P365. And then hands down, my favorite is the Masada Slim. I think that one has the least amount of recoil out of all three. But again, I've met people that, you know, just love the Hellcat and that's their favorite out of the micro compact. So it just goes to show, I mean, we're all different and our bodies a little bit different. And so what might shoot really well for me may not shoot really well for you. So I think the more options, the better. Absolutely. All right. Last ad, Franklin Armory. Have you ever shot binary triggers? I have. They're illegal in Florida, but I didn't shoot one at a range day once. Uh. I hate, I can't stand that they're illegal. Like, I'm like, what are you going to do with a binary trigger? Like, you're not, because have you ever tried to shoot one accurately? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get more rounds and it's like cool spray and pray, I guess. But I don't know. I think it's still just one of those things where unless you really practice with the cadence, I don't think you're going to be as accurate. I think they're just more of a novelty than anything. Like, I don't think I would ever use one for self-defense. But that said, I mean, it is just so much fun to shoot and there's a little bit of a learning curve, but I think once you get that down, it's, I don't know. I honestly, I want to put them on all my guns that I have. What what were your thoughts when you shot it? It's definitely a spray and pray, like fun. And, you know, on a 
you know, 22 or something like that, it would be like a ton of fun for sure. Yeah. So like, to me, it's like my background is that I started out shooting for fun and for sports. And, you know, like I know that a lot of it is, uh, you know, like self-protection obviously, but you never have to forget that it is a sport too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's yeah. Well said. Well, you mentioned 22. They actually have a drop in trigger now for the 1022. So you could shoot binary mode in that gun. And I still, I just need to bite the bullet and buy a freaking Ruger 1022 already. But, you know, that said, like, that is one that I just really want to get because I just think just shooting 22 in binary is just going to be so much fun. Yeah, that's, I just need to do it and try it out already because it's just like, I haven't done it and I think it would be a blast. If you guys want to buy a trigger, head on over to franklinarmory.com. Use the code AVA, that's A-V-A. And you're going to get 10% off your entire order. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. All right, today's AF segment, stuck upside down for hours. Well, I saw this when it came out a few days ago, and I was like, all right, we need to include this. Basically, a roller coaster that... It was like a carnival or something, or a festival. It took place in Wisconsin. Basically, something happened and the roller coaster ended up getting stuck at the top and riders were stuck upside down for three hours, which I've heard actually different things. I've heard four hours and and then three hours, so I'm not sure. But either way, that's a hell of a long time to be stuck upside down. Like, can you believe how uncomfortable that would be with all the blood rushing your head? That's awful. My husband and I are roller coaster fans, like big time. And I know that's a ring of fire model and I would never ride that. I would so not. Yeah. So before the show started, you said that you guys know a bunch of different models and stuff. So Mm -hmm. are some safer than others? Yeah, for sure. Like there's uh, certain manufacturers that are well-known, well-established. Like, first of all, I would not do carnival rides at all. Just the maintenance, tear down, put it back up kind of thing is just, you know, so crazy to me. There's just you know, I'll, I'm, my husband is an engineer, so he loves to, you know, uh, show me documentaries on how like the mechanics of certain things work. And, you know, with like Bolivar and Maviard or Entman roller coasters, you know, I always like, especially when a new model has come out and I'm the first time I'm riding it, I, I want to know like, why are you sure this is not going to, you know, have any issues with the uh, lap bar releasing or anything like that? And he's like, no, it's like, this is how it works. So yeah. for sure, the established companies that you're going to be seeing are, you know, much safer. Obviously nothing is foolproof. You know, we just saw in, um, I think it was in one of the Cedar in Cedar point. Uh, I think it was a fury two, a three, two, five, actually just one of the major, the tallest BNM roller coaster in America just had one of its, um, pillars crack. So <laughs> you never know, you know, yeah. you just have to make sure that you're going to a park that you trust that has like safety regulations and inspections constantly. Yeah. Which I think that took place in Charlotte, North Carolina. If we're talking about the same roller coaster that there was a yeah. crack found in the support beam. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. Like as far as like carnivals go or festivals, like I, again, I don't want to stereotype people who work at carnivals, but they are typically not, they're not engineers. They're, you know, like your typical, like, I just, I don't think I would definitely would not trust them with my life. And yeah, so carnivals definitely freak me out. But reading this story, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm good. Not to mention the older I get, the more like I just can't tolerate. When I was little, I was just like all about like the scariest rides. 
But as I get older, I'm like, I just don't have the stomach for it. But I apparently, and again, I don't know of like all the details, but apparently there was eight passengers stuck, although it looked like there was more than that. But the article that I got this information from, it said there was eight and that seven of them were children, which is kind of good in a way because I feel like children could probably handle it more than adults. And then the video that I watched uh, from somebody who posted a video, he mentioned he was like, kudos to the little girl who told the fireman to go rescue the older man first because he was struggling. And um, he was like, you know, that little girl definitely deserves a medal of courage for sure. So it was kind of nice that they took care of the older guy first. And I guess nobody was hurt. One guy did reportedly go to the hospital, which maybe it was the older gentleman. And they're still trying to figure out exactly what happened, why it malfunctioned. But I don't know. There's been some really interesting stories that are coming out, you know, with a lot of these rides. Like last month, a roller coaster in Sweden, it derailed, killing one person and injuring nine others. So it kind of just makes you maybe a little more hesitant to go on some of those rides. (laughs) It won't change my husband's mind. He's on, uh, you know, since we live in Orlando now, he's on, you know, one one roller coaster or another pretty much at least once a week. So, yeah. (laughs) Is that because of like Disney World and stuff? Oh, he's a huge Universal fan. He likes extreme roller coasters. So he's always on Velocicoaster. And we go to Tampa all the time and ride the um, RMCs. The, they have one there called Iron Gwazi. I mean, you you should look them up. You, If you're scared of roller coasters, this is definitely going to be the one that's going to be like, okay, you know, maybe I, I don't want to go on this. But I don't know. I feel like those are pretty safe. I trust those guys. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I... So for now on, all right, if I do decide like, hey, YOLO, I'm going to go on this roller coaster. Maybe I'll hit you up and be like, hey, have you done any research on this? Is it going to be safe? (laughs) All right. Awesome. Well, guys, it's time to wrap up. There's no iTunes reviews today, but I definitely want to hear from you guys, especially if you've been listening for a while and or you're a new listener. I definitely want to make sure that there's people out there listening and it's always nice to hear from you. And you also have an opportunity to win a prize pack as a result You can find me at gunfunny.com. There's links to everything. If you want to support the show, maybe consider becoming a Patreon. You could do so. Just go to gunfunny.com. Also, Blown Deadline, he's giving away a $300 gift certificate to a lucky Patreon each month, regardless of your pledge. And then after three months, any $5 and up Patreons, they get a Gunfunny patch that will never be for sale. So if you have this patch, it means that you are or at one point were a Patreon. Also want to thank the $25 Patreons, Corbin Bonafide, Say Holsters, Daniel Chadwell, Keith Kellamore, Daniel Lee, Nick Theodosian, Tristan Smith, Melissa Writings, and Will Nave. And King of the Patreon is still Jon Snow. So thank you for that. And Joe, thank you so much for finally making the time to join me. I'm glad our schedules finally work together. Can you just remind listeners once again where they can find you, you know, on Instagram, where they can find your podcast, all that good stuff. Absolutely. And again, thank you so much for uh, having me on. This was a great time. I was awesome. But yes, you can find me on Instagram at Latina Locked and Loaded. Uh, My husband and I have a joint one, Locked and Loaded Latinos. And then most importantly, our YouTube channel, Locked and Loaded Latinos. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. And I will see you next week. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact. <laughs>